this is uh, Jerry Lee standing in for the manifester and we are so happy to be here with you tonight so happy to have your company and we look forward to an exciting evening and we're going to dig into some scriptures we're going to talk about some interesting subjects going to we are going to answer some questions <clears throat> it'll be a good time good time on this Easter day so God bless you so much and uh, may his Holy Spirit just uh, overshadow you and surround you and may the angels of God just be in your presence. Okay, so tonight, um, before we get into the questions, I want to take you way out, way out. I think I said this to you once before, but one time I preached this uh, sermon in a church some long time ago subjects were a little bit deep alright <clears throat> not the extent that we have gone and are still going but this lady um, went home and, uh, and her husband asked her so how was the sermon today and she says well you know George I think this fellow is so far out, he might just be right in. And later I got told that story, and I found it amusing, and maybe even cute. Well, today I want to take you on this trip that is very possibly going to be considered to be far out. But um, uh, during the what is called Easter time, um, that seems to be a private um, uh, particular time for particular uh, groups really honing in on uh, who was Jesus. And it seems like an awful lot of uh, what is available out there uh, is really in the line of questionable material. Did Jesus exist? Uh, was he just a myth? Um, <clears throat> why is it that the archaeologists cannot discover, you know, any of uh, the traces? Uh, why is there not more history written? And on and on and on. Did uh, Jesus marry? Did he was Mary Magdalene his wife uh, <clears throat> who is this Jesus and uh, all these kind of questions that uh, you know uh, that seem to be uh, very uh, much along the negative line I will have to give one credit however um, if this were in some of the other uh, fairly populous religious groups um, they would not allow those questions. They would be uh, they would be murdering those people that dare to ask them. So we do have to uh, appreciate the tolerance and the open-mindedness and the availability that uh, is given for uh, research and for verification, uh, as some people seem to need it. So what there seems to be a theme of is um, discovery of the historical Christ. 
they seem to have a real big thing on that. Well, I want, before I get into the questions, to introduce to you a subject that I will call transaugmentation. That's T-R-A-N-S-A-U-G-M-E-N-T-A-T-I-O-N. Transaugmentation. And um, I want to present this to you um, in a way that I hope won't uh, loosen the bolts from your seat and send you flying off uh, into scary land or something. The search for the historical Christ. Well, there's all this talk, you know, about um, trying to find the ossuary where the bones of Jesus and his family might be, and that oh well, if they could if they could find and prove that they had discovered the bones of Jesus, then um, that would absolutely that would fix this gospel thing. That would then prove that uh, that. Jesus was a fraud, that he was a fake, and uh, that the whole story uh, was just uh, unworthy of anyone getting excited about. It was just a little storybook and nothing more to it. I'm not saying that's what I'm saying. Of course, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if they made a discovery and they could, thought they could prove that if they found the bones of Jesus, that that's what would happen. But I want to tell you something. That is not what would happen. Even, and I do not believe that that is possible they will ever find the bones of Jesus. But even if they could or they did find the bones of Jesus, or at least what they alleged were the bones of Jesus, because they've already found, you know, these little bone boxes uh, with the name, you know, Jesus written on it. And even... Uh, with a with other names that that seemed to make it sound very possible that it could have been the family of Jesus. But let me tell you this: first off, this faith, this spirit of Christ, can never be quenched. It will never, never, never be quenched, even though it may go through some. Uh, future histories that will seem to dampen it to where it is not even apparent anymore. It will always forever rise again. Nothing will ever stop the continuing and continuum of the rise again of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what would happen should such an alleged discovery ever crop up and they think that they have really found a proof now that Jesus Christ was just a regular human. That will not be the consensus of the people that are into the deeper Word of God because what they will then say is some things that was, has already been said by some of the Gnostics. They will say that Jesus passed on to the next world, not in his fleshly blood body, but in his spirit body, which spirit 
was able to take a body when it came here to the earth, was able to transfigure into other bodies, was able to take on other bodies, as is plainly evident in the Bible, and therefore would totally be capable by leaving in the spirit to then at any time take on another body, even the same kind of body as Jesus had before. And they would then, in that sense, if I may dare to say it, and I will, be even closer to the truth than they are now because of all of the plunder of confused ideas in their association to the historical Christ. Now, am I saying something there? Well, I haven't said it yet. Just give me some time here, though, and I'm sure that I will. I want to tell you this, and I want you to listen to me. Discovering the historical Christ is not, in my opinion, my opinion, that important. I think we've got a lot of people out there straining at a gnat and ending up swallowing a camel. I think we've got a bunch of listeners and people who are wanting to believe so badly who are straining at those same nets and swallowing, swallowing some camels too. Because here's the way it is with me. Once I accept in my heart the reality of a person, especially when I'm talking of Jesus Christ, then there is nothing historically that could ever change my dedication and my allegiance to that person, to that person in all that person's personifications. I accept that person totally completely and without question or challenge and without a wait and see attitude well I believe in Jesus Christ I think uh, unless they do uncover some evidence that makes it clear that he didn't exist <laughs> you will never find me in that category and I'm sorry to say that there are literally thousands and hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people who are called Christians but who live in the haze and the clouds of that kind of overcast. The historical Christ. There are some differences in the Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels versus the Gospel of John not to mention all of the other kinds of Gospels that are out there that are found in the lost uh, sea scrolls. Um, you know, there are all kinds of other old ancient writs. Recently, the book of Judah, Judah, and on and on. And maybe we can name some of them as we get going here. And people looked at those and they denied those because they weren't accepted by, uh, you know, the 
the church governing bodies. But let me tell you how I look at things. I don't look at a cover. I don't look to see if something's under the name historical. I look only upon the content of what is said and the spirit of how it was said and the spirit of the meaning contextually. We know that you can you can have the devil speak. The devil speak and say he believes and fears and trembles. And people could just take that out of context. Oh, the devil believes. And not put all of the rest of the contextuality that would go with that, that would show that his kind of belief is severe, that anyone who's a true Christian doesn't want to even approach or have anything close uh, to attending to. So, context is absolutely critical. And interpretation is absolutely critical because you have, in part, the one level, which is the translation of, of words that have been brought forward, and, and you have the scholars that are you know, trying very uh, diligently to make sure that they are appropriating the translation. Now, it is not a simple job because of the differences uh, in grammar of, you know, of all the different parts of speech that are not the same from one language to another. And uh, how that, in order to get the effect of what was said in the Aramaic or, or the Greek or uh, some of the other uh, languages of the Old Testament, and the Hebrew, um, they have to, in order to translate that into, into the other languages, they have to uh, use uh, fill words. And, uh, and that is the case in every Bible. And so if there's any of you people out there that think that your Bible is the exact copy of the text that was written in Hebrew or Greek, Aramaic, if you think that, then, my dear friend, you are just standing on the precipice of ignorance. Because that is absolutely incorrect. They have to make these changes. There are words in the Hebrew, words in the Greek, that do not translate into the English and into other languages. So they have to use certain words for fills. Now, I'm trying to use language instead of getting too technical. That is best for you people to understand. And so, that's all great that we have these uh, as perfect as possible type of translations. And as I said in my last blog, um, that is, you know, just the way that it is. But that is not the full, the full bottom of the truth. That is not the full meaning of the truth because those, those um, translations are only translations of the word and not the interpretation of the meaning of that verse or of those words. And, the, and that translation is one thing then on the, on the physical side, but, but the interpretation is very important on the spiritual side. And 
on top of that, no one has a copy of the original writ of any of these books, of any of these chapters. No one has that. It's not around that anyone knows. There's nothing to show for that. So, while we believe that it probably isn't of any variance of, of, of a sort, we don't know that. We don't know that because we don't have the copy. If you want to get historical, well, there's a historical point. Almost hysterical. So, as we look at these things, we begin to understand that we have to get into this Hebrew mentality of faith so that we have the faith to believe just by an inner knowing that something is true. When we hear it by that inner knowing, we have that reality that it is true. And that is what we go by, that inner reality. And, and that is why that God has allowed there to be put in our innermost being, uh, in the solar plexus, uh, this understanding of, of that there will be rivers of living waters that will flow out of our belly or out of our solar plexus. And it's made us to understand that um, even in the sense of the opposite, the contra, that Jesus recognized that this flow out of the belly, out of the solar plexus, can be both of good and both of evil. So in Luke 11.39, to the Pharisees, he said, You may clean the outside of the cup uh, uh, and the platter, but your inward part is full of, of, uh, of ravening and wickedness. So he's talking about this inward part. you know. And Job 38.36 talks about uh, a question. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? And Psalms 5.9 talks about the inward parts of some people is full of wickedness. Um, Psalms 51.6 talks about, uh, you know, thou desirest truth in the inner parts. And uh, Psalms 20.27 through 30 speaks of the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly or the solar plexus. Now that's a real powerful scripture right there. <laughs> the spirit of man. Yeah. Not the... Not the human flesh of man, the spirit of man. People have to get into this thing of spirit to spirit, which is manifest revelation. Because in spirit to spirit, um, you know, we begin to delve, we begin to interpret, we begin to understand, we begin to have comprehension in the spiritual realm, uh, uh, in addition to having it in the physical, physiological realm. And this understanding of the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. God uses the spirit of our person, which is the, you know, the angel of our presence. He uses the angel of our presence, our spirit, to show us how to search out all the inward messages, all the inward parts of the solar plexus. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three, long, long ago predicts, prophesies, I will put my law in their inward parts. Wow. And then it talks about in, in Proverbs 18, 18, the words of a talebearer 
or as the wounds that go down into the innermost parts of the belly. So there is a lot of scripture, believe me, a lot of scripture that is very clear about how that within us there is a provision for us finding the truth. That is why in in Genesis it tells us uh, that uh, uh, not Genesis, I take that back, but well, there's some scriptures there too, but in Psalms 19, it tells us that, that you know, the line has gone out. It's gone out to the whole universe, to everywhere. Romans 10 tells us that, that every human being, every person, every person on the planet has received this word. It's just that it's not conscious to the people yet. To some people it's conscious, but not to all people. And you have to get into that consciousness and you have to touch the nerve trigger in the, in the solar plexus, the innermost parts of which the Bible says that when you really get into the moving of the Holy Spirit, <coughs> when you really get into the operations of the Holy Spirit, that there will flow rivers of living water from out of your innermost being. So, ladies and gentlemen, these rivers of living waters flowing from out of my innermost being, flowing from out of your innermost being, that is what my faith calls for. That is what I am believing in. That is what I believe is will verify to me who Jesus is. So people can spend their whole life on their down on their on their knees, and I'm not knocking any archaeologists. They do a great job. They're important. They're needed. But people can spend their whole life searching, digging, probing for what they want to call the historical Christ. Uh, you know, to by some little marking, by by some little uh, special historical uh, figure that they discover. Uh, and those things are interesting. They're interesting to listen to. But in the ultimate maximum of my belief in faith there will never ever 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 be anything that can shake or will shake or could shake this faith that I have in Jesus Christ as my Lord as my Savior as my King and I want those words to be parted from my mouth and be said over this live broadcast because they are true words. And we need to, to, to take a stop and listen. We need to take a stop and look as all of this information is coming across. You know, uh, I know there is a big celebration because recently, under some 2,000 year old uh, uh, concrete like stones uh, uh, that were part of a stairway, they found inscribed the name Pont Pontus Pilate which sort of proved then uh, that unless there was another Pontius Pilate, probably not, but sort of proved that, oh, wow, didn't know that this person who judged Jesus was a real person. And, and you know, there's his history ascribed to that, and I think that's all great, and I think that's all neat. But in my book, if they never ever found Pontius Pilate, I would not have a problem with it. I would not have a problem with it because the way that I believe in my trans-augmentation 
which I will describe to you here as I get up the the time scale a little bit, uh, does not depend on all those hist history documentations. Uh, I just believe. I just believe. And uh, it would it would be like Jesus appearing on earth as a person in a human form maybe laughing and having a good time with his disciples jesting with them even and uh, and uh, maybe uh, you know expressing himself in ways that some people would have problems um, because you know I mean he did have a style and and people said you know he, he's a glutton uh, he, he's a wine bibber uh, he spends a lot of time you know uh, in these uh, pub-like conditions with these uh, questionable women uh, and uh, they pet around on him on his feet and hair and and uh, they had all kinds of uh, critical things to say uh, but would that would that make me decide oh my god so that's that's who Jesus is huh well I guess I'm not believing in him then would that affect me that way absolutely 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 not it would not it would not because I take Jesus for who he is I accept the words in the book of Hebrews that said that Jesus was only unable to overcome with much prayers and many tears now maybe you don't think that's in there well then you just should get your book of Hebrew out and find it because I guarantee you that it is in there and Jesus had to overcome if he if he did not take on a body because he chose not to take on a, a perfected angelic body he decided to take on of the seed of Abraham and we all know what the seed of Abraham is you don't have to uh, go very far in the scripture to see all kinds of uh uh, of uh, interesting and tangled situations in the human aspect uh, that belong to that genetic line. And by doing this, though, he was tempted and tested like all men. And then that made it so that he could say, Follow me. I have overcome these temptations. I am continuing to surface and to overcome these temptations follow me I will show you the way and someone would say to him but we don't know the way yes you do you do know the way you know you know the way because it's deep inside you got to dig into those rivers of living waters and let the Holy Ghost bring all things to remembrance and how does that happen well when this flow these rivers of living waters begin to flow out of, you, out of your innermost being, what do you think that those rivers of living waters are? But incredible amounts of information about who you were, where you came from, your past life, and all kinds of other information about God, about Jesus, about everything that you would ever be interested to know things unimaginable to the human being but understandable to the spirit of the human being 
So we've got to turn on those triggers in us down in that deep inner solar plexus nerve system and let the Holy Spirit begin to move and cleanse and purify until the, there is a flow of the many living waters coming out of our innermost being and we begin to be taught by the spirit of those words of all the things that need to be brought to our remembrance it is so interesting it is so interesting to believe like this in God because it causes you to be totally free not encumbered by any kind of uh, any kind of alleged thing that people might say about Jesus Christ or his conduct uh, it just simply absolutely is irrelevant to the fact that God chose Jesus Christ to come and to shed his love for us in such a way that he would take on himself all our burdens and our griefs and bear it within himself because he says I'm capable of doing this I can do this this is my job don't keep me from my job I can do this because of who I am I can do this because of my profile because I am over all of you angels and that's who you once were is over them angels I'm over all of you you all belong as part of a host of the angels that were under me that belonged under me therefore any archangel uh, 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 gift from God uh, any archangel uh, principality and power uh, has to be able to to en encompass the needs of any of his host and he came down to prove it again on earth and that's a beautiful thing and I don't I don't need you know all these uh, historical proofs about Christ you know uh, I think it's cute they go out and say here's where Christ was born uh, and you got maybe two different places that they believe he was born and they're competing and, and it's, it's a monetary thing and uh, they've got different sites that they're showing and you know people are making a very sacred thing about it they pray they cry do I have a problem with that absolutely not I think that that is your right and your right to exercise your faith at those places and I believe that you can actually be blessed by ascribing to those things that at least they are a proxy of the things that you believe about Christ and even as a proxy they have power the Bible says as a man thinketh so is he so all of these things that you do can strengthen you there's nothing against that and we don't need someone rising up knocking everybody that is trying to find the Christ the way that they're trying to find him if you want to go out and dig in the ground and be an archaeologist may God bless you may God help you you know if you want to seek after uh, this historical concept and you feel that you need it uh, may God bless you may God help you you have the right every person has the right 
to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Everyone has that right. You have that right. I also have a right. I have a right to believe the way I believe. I have a right to share it to anyone whose will is to listen to what I have to say. But I will never in any way try to force my thoughts on anyone else. But I will offer my thoughts to those who question, those who ask, those who seek. Now, trans-augmentation is along the line of taking something that is not and having it become something uh, something else. That's trans-augmentation. Uh, taking the impossible and trans-augmentating it to the possible. Uh, taking the death of the body, the human body, and trans-augmentation uh, and applying it in trans uh, augmentation to the life of the spirit uh, to increase the loaves and the fishes that's an act of trans augmentation Um, the physical historical Christ trans augment him to the spiritual historical Christ and you have moved that whole conceptual search up to a higher level because in the end the Bible says naked we came into this world and naked we will go out the fleshly attributes are not something that is going to transcend up into the highest realm of heaven now as long as we're in this this uh, physical universe yes we'll need a physical body and we'll have the opportunity to have more than one physical body I can assure you of that and in the next few coming weeks, Lord willing, I'm going to be teaching on, uh, you know, uh, some really interesting things, but I especially want to be teaching on how that God provides uh, uh, in re-engeneration these various other bodies for us when they are needed. Okay, trans-augmentation. Like, uh, as I said, the increase of the loaves of fishes, taking them from just a basketful and trans-augmentating them into a great amount, enough to feed 5,000 people. Uh, Taking the example with the the prophet Elijah uh, and uh, causing the oil in the the pots to to not run out, but to keep increasing. That's trans-augmentation. Um, so the literal physical trans augmentation of that becomes the spiritual spirit so the real number can be trans um, augmentated to the abstract number and the temporal of things can be trans augmentated to the eternal of things and we can go on and on and on with that because it is so absolutely beautiful. Well, what comes after uh, trans-augmentation? After trans-augmentation comes transcendental, uh, uh, transcendental operations, transcendental experiences. So you sort of go to trans-assimilation, 
taking on the life of Jesus, taking on the blood, taking on the blood, the, the, the flesh that Jesus lived and trans-assimilating that to yourself. Then you go uh, to the next step up of trans-augmentation, which you then are able to take physical things that have limitations and augment them by this trans-mentality, spirituality, into a multiplication of, of, of manifold. And then from trans-augmentation, you step up to transcendentalism. Uh, not in the sense of its um, uh, psychological meanings of transcendentalism, but in the sense of the word itself meaning uh, surpassing the natural plane of reality. You reach a point where you transpose, uh, you, you modulate, you, you surpass, uh, you surpass the natural plane, uh, P-L-A-N-E, of reality. And from there, you are ready, you are at the edge, you are at, at the precipice of, uh, of uh, you know, transcendence. So, uh, there is a process, and the process is, of course, very interesting, and uh, is, is certainly uh, a beautiful thing. Uh, Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples, he said, You which follow me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you shall sit upon the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, we that look into the deep word of God and see the deep word of God and the thirty, the sixty, uh, the hundredfold, we understand uh, the deep part of regeneration. We understand the deep part of the meaning of the word throne. Even scholars rep represent uh, an, uh, an understanding and provide it in many cases that the word throne is a special kind of angels of a very high category. We understand the symbolism of the twelve thrones and the symbolism of judging the twelve tribes of Israel as having uh, uh, additional meanings uh, of vast importance. So the point though is that Jesus says, ye which have followed me. This is a lifetime, lifelong uh, call to follow Jesus step by step through the rege regeneration. He is saying, follow me. Follow me in the regeneration. And he's saying, he, all the way to the regeneration to when the Son of Man is re regenerated to set upon the throne of his glory. So he is himself saying that he is going through all of these various steps of regeneration until finally he reaches this point that he is regenerated to sit on the throne of his glory and all the rest that follows with that. In Titus 3.5 it talks about not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So that is a beautiful scripture that was Titus 3.5 we begin to see the absolute importance of the scripture like that as we are talking about the spiritual things such as we are speaking about right now. And, and that is, uh, you know, uh, so, so important. Uh, you know, Jesus understood 
that his followers, even some of the closer followers, did not really understand who he was or what he was doing. And so in Matthew 16, 13, he says, Who do you say I am? And he got different answers, and some of those answers he accepted and applauded, and some of them he just left silent. But, but uh, the understanding about this washing of regeneration, that is what our life on earth is about. We are here for this washing of regeneration. And we just have to make ourselves available by faith. Because remember what it said about Enoch. In the uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews, in the 5th verse, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death (coughs) and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, I will be referring to this in one of the uh, questions that was asked to me about the Arturians. Uh, because in this particular scripture is very, very uh, unique and very uh, exciting uh, word that, uh, that we have to understand the different sides to translation. Um, translation doesn't always mean that you move from one maximum uh, to a greater maximum or that you move from a minimum to a uh, a ultimate maximum but there are many many steps in between so that that in your translation you you may it may only be talking about translation from uh, a physical state to another physical state a physical place to another physical place and that is a translation and and uh, uh, it's, it, it is important he says uh, he was translated that he should not see death. And, and when you understand that uh, what was facing the offspring of Enoch, and, and Enoch, the way they lived, they lived long enough to be here from, from uh, you know, the 350 years old that he was when he was uh, uh, translated. Uh, if he had stayed on earth, he, he probably would have been alive at the time of, the, of Noah's flood uh, uh, in, in the terms of how uh, people accounted. Uh, not necessarily in the terms of how we account it. But anyway, uh, there would be that kind of understanding. But the thing of it was, is that he was translated that he should not see death. So, so that was why he was translated. And, and uh, uh, you know, someone might say, well, why, after he's already lived 350 years, why is God concerned about him being translated? Uh, you know, I mean... My goodness, what 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 uh, is, hasn't he lived long enough? Uh, why uh, why should you know uh, he he be concerned? Now, what is it talking about when it says uh, you know so that he would not see death? It's not talking about his spirit death. Spirits don't die; they're eternal. So it's talking about his physical body. So he was translated so that his physical body would not see death. That's why he was translated. So then, what he was translated uh, about was his physical body. And that is why, in that same verse it says, uh, because God had translated him uh, uh, for his, for before his translation, he had the testimony that he pleased God. But then there's another part I want to read, and, and this is important. 
um, Enoch was translated that he should not uh, see death and was not found because of God had translated him was not found but just by asking that question was not found was uh, indicative uh, of of it of it insinuating uh, very very clearly that it was possible to find him but the reason they could not find him because his body was spared his body his life was 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 extended was because he was translated from on earth to another place to another place where he would live in the physical body and not die in that physical body during that time uh, of season so that is really important to have that down as we carry on uh, with this teaching uh, you know we do have to understand that um, that you know in a sense uh, the, the Christian people and the people of the world are, are handicapped and, and this in no way is a way of putting down anyone who is handicapped but people who are handicapped can appreciate uh, when I say that, that people that are, who are apparently not handicapped actually are handicapped in the sense of spiritually and mentally uh, having comprehension and that's why that in the times of Jesus with all the miracles that he did the, the, the healing of people desperately sick, uh, the healing of people who were crippled and maimed, uh, the healing of, 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 of people that were blind from, from birth, uh, the raising of the dead, all of those kind of things. Uh, yet with all of those incredible offerings that Jesus brought, uh, the people were so handicapped mentally that the Bible says the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not now this is the thing ladies and gentlemen that you out there who are listening you you have to fight this you have to deal with this you have to war with this this is a war of the minds that is going on in the world today between the forces of darkness the principalities of darkness and the forces of light and the principalities of light and you want to be on the winning side overcoming all of these kind uh, of warfares that are that are wanting to keep you a prisoner in your body mentally and spiritually so that you cannot have that flow of the many living waters gushing out from you that have in it all those things that are being restored to your to your remembrance so blessed be the name of God that is exciting and that is a handicap that you want to overcome so don't use any kind of an excuse do not educate your body in the computer sense because your mind is like a computer by telling yourself or anyone else that you don't understand and it's beyond your comprehension or it's too difficult to complicate it because when you speak those words when you think those words you are actually putting those words into your mind's computer and you are actually uh, causing those words to be set in and and, and formatted in, in, in your brain uh, further uh, disabling you further holding you back further keeping you into that handicapped mentality now when we look at the law and we see the judgment of the law we come to understand if we follow on to know the Lord that the Lord's 
going forth is prepared as the former and the latter rain and he will come as the moderate as the former rain moderately to us and when we begin to dig into all these scriptures dig into all these things of truth uh, we begin to understand better and better the meaning of the words about Jesus when it said he came to fulfill the law Jesus came to fulfill the law because the law was not complete now I don't want to be judged by a law that isn't finished that doesn't have the complete understanding to the sense that it could give a complete judgment frequently <clears throat> frequently Jesus would speak and say Moses said it was to be this way but I say here's how this should be understood and there are numerous occasions that Jesus took that stance he was fulfilling the law he was saying it's been interpreted with it's been interpreted with um, anger and punishment and judgment but he says I am going to interpret this with love now one of these days not too far hence I want to do a teaching about the the Ten Commandments and I want to show you that even though you read it in the Bible and it looks like it's absolutely positive that the that the broken tables of stone that Moses in his anger threw down and broke because of the the things that he saw going on when he came was coming down from the mountain and what he saw going on with the children of Israel he was so discomforted so angry that he threw down those stones and broke them and it seems that when he went back up to write the commandments again that the word seems to indicate that they were just exactly the same as they were before but I want to show you by the word that that actually is not the case that the first uh, set of law were blessings and that the second set of law with the exception of a couple verses that had to do with love were, were, were actually blessings but even that love like syntonic fire if you apply that to people hungry to people wanting and reaching out to people lonely to people that need healing deliverance it is healing it is delivering but if you you put that holy beautiful love into a filthy degraded polluted uh, uh, place uh, it, it, it can be destructive just like the Ark of the Covenant when the Ark of the Covenant was allowed to go over into other lands who did not respect uh, how the, the Ark was to be handled who did not respect the holiness of what it was uh, there were, there were uh, hundreds of people that ended up dying because of his presence and they, they wanted to they were afraid to destroy it or try to destroy it and they because they didn't want a curse to come on their uh, land so they they sent it out of the country and um, uh, love can be like that too when people reject love uh, re rejection of love actually is dangerous because it brings upon people uh, uh, you know sometimes uh, uh, terrible consequences 
and I don't want to see that consequences on anything. But there is, uh, uh, you know, there's a very serious thing. Uh, the rejection of love has to be something very, very close uh, to the meaning of um, of repudiating the Holy Spirit. It has to be something very close to that of the, of the almost, you know, uh, um, uh, of, of the of the sin that the Bible basically says uh, is unforgivable. The sin. Uh, that's not my message today. There's a lot to be said about that. But on with this thing about the commandments. So I want to show that. Uh, because it's all part of this incredible revelation that is so interesting. And we have a lot, a lot that can be taught about that. And when we open your eyes, wow, will you ever be a changed person? But I want to talk then about, um, about uh, like the scripture. Uh, in this thing about uh, that the law needs to be fulfilled. Um, let me read this scripture which I believe has a lot of lean way toward the understanding of that. Um, in um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, it says, Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, that is an incredible scripture. And wow, you talked about something deep, that is deep. And I would not even have the time to take you into all the streams uh, that come out of that scripture. But there's another scripture in the same contextual area that is connected to it. And so if you go down to verse 40, And God, having provided something better, now notice the word better, and then notice the word up here in verse 35, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now back in verse 40, And God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So what we're talking about here is collective obtainment. So that some people uh, that could possibly enter into a perfection would not do so until... Uh, those that have not entered into perfection have their time and chance at becoming uh, perfected. And that, that there is a real need of that because the body of Christ is one a collective entity and they all belong together. And so if any parts of the body of Christ are missing, uh, then part of the collective, uh, you know, is, is, is dealt with, with a defunct because it is not a complete body without blemish. And so uh, the importance of, of this thing of women receive their dead raised to life again. Some received receive resurrection way back in the Old Testament. We're men. That's more than one. Um, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They could have been delivered, but they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't do it two seem to be opposite of each other but they both were in the end going to be receiving the same reward the ones who had their dead raised to life were going to be equal to those who were tortured and would not would not accept deliverance and they are both going to receive the reward of a better resurrection which better resurrection has been provided for also 
all of those who are yet futuristic until the whole trillion of the orphanins get the opportunity to be able to to overcome now I've had people say to us well you know there's over 6 billion people on the planet now population is increasing uh, you know it's not going to be very long for you used up this whole trillion then what and how is this going to go on for 70,000 years well you just have to understand that when you start multiplying this in the sense that an individual is born and lives but does not get his time and a chance then that generation is nullified and according all through the Old Testament and in the New Testament you find this nullification present in which there are uh, genealogies uh, that are not acceptable to God and they are treated as though they never were and even Job talked about better to be not even born uh, he understood that uh, maybe he shouldn't apply it against himself but he understood the power of that and so the thing of it is, when you really begin to understand this thing about time and numbers, which we'll be getting into yet here today, it is so important that everything is relevant uh, to, to the real understanding of the word, the real truth of the word, because if you don't have that, and you're out there just trying to find, never around on all of these little gnats, uh, uh, you know, you're going to be choking from day to day on the camels that you end up swallowing. <clears throat> so, that is very, very important, and and as we talk about these these uh, uh, trillion orphanims and the regenerations, uh, when you start exponentially multiplying uh, multiplying the times uh, of these different lives, and um, and how that um, uh, that that could that could get quite involved in the chronology of things. Um, maybe sometime in the near future I will do a statistical math for you on this to show you mathematically uh, how that exponentially uh, the vastness of the numbers of people that need to be uh, to live and die and live and die before you can really have expunged uh, the problem and really have had the opportunity to bring the full a trillion people into uh, that overcoming possibility okay that's all still in the making <coughs> all right let's um let's continue on there is so much but um i better just set aside this um trans augmentation come back to it and make sure that i'm uh that I, I cover some of these questions that I've got okay uh, I have uh, uh, from a person here um, uh, Merak who has asked these questions one uh, Arturus is it located in another dimension or in a linear time and space distance from us um, Arturus um, is a star and uh, that star uh, is in a different constellation than Artura which is the father's house so I know it's easily confused and there is an alignment between Artura and Arturus which if you keep checking the blogs you will run across the explanation of that and it is not in another dimension um, all of these things do not apply it's on a planet uh, that is a, a planet 
uh, like Earth, uh, except it has some plus uh, features, and 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 except that it is called uh, in my Father's house, and I believe that's described in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, in my Father's house. And Jesus said, "That's when I leave here. That's where I'm going," and that is where Jesus went. And so um, that answers question one. Um, question two. Uh, why um, it, is it necessary or why is, it, is there a reason for taking on the transposition of humans to another location? Don't they need redemption too? It, it seems like they are more special than us. Aren't they orphanims as well? Uh, that's several questions in one, but that's okay because they're very relevant. Okay, now, you have to understand that these people, and this is all explained in the blogs, and I don't have the time to go through the whole thing, but these people are the offspring of Enoch. Enoch was the offspring of Adam. So they are human beings, but they are pre-Abraham. And so these pre-Abraham uh, persons the offspring of, of Enoch were uh, transported to Artura and they live on this physical prob uh, planet in physical bodies uh, yes they are orphanims as well as we are and they are humans just like we are in fact they belong to the same race of humans that all of we humans belong on and the Bible says we are all of one blood and they are of that same blood but nevertheless, as Jesus described it, they are a flock. They are a sheepfold of another flock. Jesus said, I have sheep that are not of this fold. Now, what Jesus meant by that is that these particular Arturians, sons of and daughters of Enoch, are not under the Abrahamic covenant in the sense that everyone from the time of Abraham and forward and those that were going to be living on earth and regenerating would be bound to. But these people were under Melchizedek. And Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrew, was after the order of Melchizedek. So if the after the order of Melchizedek is truly understood, then Jesus coming as a redeemer, Jesus coming as a savior, Jesus who is saying, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, which means to to take in his blood, which is his life, to take in his life of flesh, his life, blood. The reason it says blood and life is because, or blood and flesh, is because there is a physical and there is a spiritual. So the thing where it says blood, which means life, does also incorporate both the spirit and the body. And the flesh incorporates only the body. So, so by eating his flesh and blood, you are incorporating or you are taking on uh, and assimilating the life of Christ uh, by faith. And when you do that, then all of your burdens, all of your grief, all of your sins, 
are have become the responsibility of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the greatest lawyer in the world, is going to stand for you and and see to it that you make it through the haze and the cloudiness and the shadows and the darkness so that you end up on the other side having endured unto the end as a saved person. Now back to the question here. Um, so yes, they are orphanims and they're at the Father's house. And Jesus said, My Father is greater than I. Now get this. My Father is greater than I. And he says, I don't do my own will. I am not here on earth doing my own will. I am doing the will of my Father. And what my Father tells me to do, that is what I am doing. So whatever he's doing for, for healing people, for redeeming people, for loving people, for saving people, is all from the will of his father, which his father is telling him to do. And that goes along with John 3.16. For God, and this is talking about the father, so loved the world, he gave, he did this, his only begotten son. So we see that that all connects, that that all goes together, that's Bible. It has scriptural reference and scriptural compatibility. Now understanding that is so important. Therefore, since it's the will of the Father that Jesus do all these things, and since Jesus came out from the Father, and when he returns uh, back to our Torah, he will go back into the Father and be one with the Father in the kahuning from which he came out. So understanding that, then of course, the humans who are on the planet Artura are there exposed through the Father to all the salvation that was the will of the Father that Jesus was was there uh, um, bringing to pass uh, during his ministry on earth, and 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 they have that same opportunity uh, because it is all being done. Uh, uh, by the Father uh, as revealed on Artura of His Son Christ uh, or as revealed by God uh, of His Son Christ on the earth. So, uh, yes, they have that same opportunity. Okay. Um, then it says um, 3. My family um, is known to me from the is my family known to me from the past? If this is so, I have always had the same role among them. Ex-father, son, etc. Question mark. Alright. Now, we have done these teachings about that when a spirit of a person leaves his body due to death, that the spirit retains uh, what we call debris. And there's scripture for this. And um, this debris... Uh, allows memory of the relational aspects relative to the life that it came uh, to the um, uh, spirit realm with. Now, understand, um, when a person dies and goes to the spirit realm world, 
the Alpha and Omega, which means from a Greek beginning and end, uh, has a special uh, uh, relationship that is not at all in the uh, in the physical uh, understanding. It is more into the impossible understanding, but with God all things be impossible. So that the beginning and the ending, that which is first, that which is last, the Alpha and the Omega, happen at the same time. So when people leave here, they will, it will be because of the relative aspect of of the timelessness of that other realm. It will be as if everyone died and met in this spirit realm at the same time. However, during the course of this time, there are certain inter interstitial uh, uh, happening uh, spaces. And that is for those who are rebounding and being regenerated. Now, you may know this person the spirit as having been your father or your mother or your son or your daughter or another relative but when they rebound and go back into regeneration uh, they then will take they take on another body and this time instead of being a male they might be a female or instead of being a female they might be a male and and they will come to know other people and come to know other individuals and love them just as they loved their other family and, and not remember that of their life in almost every instance and, uh, and this could go on for a collection of times and so there is that that space which we call interstitial that has this gap <coughs> and um, uh, it can only be pierced with the needle's eye and, and it is not always the will of God to allow that to happen. That is just in the will of God to allow it to happen. But people that are in the spirit realm, and they are still in the lingering stages where their spirit is, is um, uh, continuing, the spirit in that realm uh, is uh, to what we would consider in our earth realm uh, like an apparition. And, and the presence of that spirit having been there will continue to have a presence of being there even though that spirit is literally moved to this other rebound and so the people that are in that spirit realm will still be able to have their association uh, with the essence of that spirit uh, because in the spirit world uh, spirits are multiplaceable they can be in more than one location at a time okay yeah, that's deep uh, let's go on alright um, another question here um, pre-Adamic humans um, did they reproduce sexually like we do today yes um, these pre-Adamic uh, uh, humans the, the um, different ones of course were the I, I, I don't use the new um, translation uh, that tra translate their names differently. I like the old King James, you know, the Gihon, Pison, Herkel, Euphrates. 
these uh, ancient humans um, that uh, were of the the Gaihan, Paisan, Hedekel, they uh, many of them had human bodies that looked just like we do. Uh, as you go back in time, uh, millions of years, some of them were, uh, you know, more uh, uh, B-style, um, and and so forth. But but uh, yes, they, you know, just like animals, uh, have sex and reproduce. Uh, they were humans, and they they along the very similar line of how humans today reproduce uh, and have sex, uh, carried on in that manner. Okay. Um, did Eve have a sexual encounter with the Gaihan people? What was Eve's sin? Um, um, of course, I've heard that story many times about Eve and getting pregnant and that actually Cain was the offspring of this serpent Gaihan people. Uh, uh, I, 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 I do not accept that or believe that because the Bible does not give, uh, give variance for that. In fact, it makes it very clear that is not the case. I, I can't take the time to give you support scriptures, but in the future, I'm sure you'll get an opportunity at that. And what was Eve's sin? Uh, these questions of yours, <laughs> I have three or four questions in one, and so I'm already past the five allowed uh, questions, but uh, I'll be merciful to you here. Um, what was Eve's sin? Well, the Bible says that Adam did not transgress the law, but that Eve transgressed the law. Now, we're not talking here about the law of Moses, which was given by God as the law of God, uh, but it obviously, uh, and we can discover that by reading in, in, uh, in Romans, that it, it was before the law uh, of, of Moses. <coughs> but yet, <coughs> that did not mean that there was not a law laid down because Jesus, or not Jesus, but God did lay down a law when he said, you can eat of all the trees but of the, the, the tree of good and evil knowledge thou shalt not eat. Not eat. Well, uh, Eve did eat of that tree and so that was the transgression of the law and that was what her sin was. And then of course, Adam, in order to save her, took on her sins by partaking of that same fruit so that uh, it could be evenly distributed before the, the two of them and that she would not be taken from him, from him and separated from him. Can you explain Yeshua's, which is uh, the word for Jesus, uh, were, uh, can you explain Yeshua words, um, uh, uh, Father, uh, can you explain the Yeshua words the words that Jesus said, Father, why have you abandoned me uh, while he was dying on the cross? Well, the manifest, um, you know, deals with the interpretation of, uh, of the word Elohim. And, um, and instead of taking it in the plural uh, and using the, uh, the grammar uh, constituency that are used by many of the scholars, to try to make the case uh, for it being a, a singular meaning, um, we show it to be a plural meaning and give all the reasons why. And um, so it would read, instead of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
and all that. Um, we instead in, interpret it, my gods, my gods, or my angels, my angels. Why have you forsaken me? And that this was actually a message uh, to those people uh, that that uh, had forsaken him. And for instance, like Peter, he said, Peter, before the cock uh, crow thrice, you shall deny me thrice. And and uh, and uh, you know, this was a question that Jesus rendered on the cross: Why have you forsaken me? Why have you run off and you're hiding? Uh, why why have you done this? You know. And it's just like when uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when when the the um, sleep came upon the disciples, and Jesus kept you know trying to nudge them to be awake and and to understand that this was the, the uh, crucial hour, that they just couldn't couldn't do that. They just were uh, knocked out in sleep until the very moment that that uh, the 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 guards, uh, the the Roman uh, centurions, uh, our guards came with with Judas. Okay, so that is the meaning there, and uh, I, I think that should be interesting uh, to to you people. All right, um, there is um, um, okay. This question from uh, John, uh, and he says, um, "What does Jesus mean when he says, take up or pick up your cross and follow him?'" So, we want to say this is a very, very important scripture because it shows that the word cross is not limited to just one meaning. For instance, we, we know uh, that the Romans' uh, method was often to use the cross. And, and it was especially when uh, they were um, uh, in a country or a city or among a people who had resisted uh, their authority and fought against them and caused a lot of deaths of their Roman soldiers uh, before they could finally overcome that uh, city's defense. Uh, this, of course, be in Jerusalem. Um, that, um, in the understanding of that, uh, they used they used crosses uh, to you know for everybody to see these. These these crosses, and sometimes they crucified. Uh, history says as many as five hundred persons in a day. Five hundred. Of course, they had a lot of army to do that. But the fact of the matter is, is that there were so many of the crosses used, which are made out of wood, that um, that they they began to run out of wood. And so there's no doubt or question about it at all that they had to start keeping these crosses that had been used uh, by by other uh, 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 persons that had been convicted <coughs> and uh, and put the next uh, accused person on it. Excuse me. <coughs> Praise be to God. So. Um, <clears throat> no doubt and I don't want to get into that tonight but no doubt many of these people that ended up on the cross ended up on a second hand cross that had been used before by someone else alright now um, 
It certainly does not mean that kind of a cross. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is not saying, now all of you people who are going to believe in me, you need to go out there and do something to aggravate and make the Romans angry and get crucified on the cross just like I did. It is absolutely not saying that. That would be absolutely uh, against what Jesus said, you know, uh, you know, my burden is easy. You know, like that song, uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Griefs to Bear. Uh, he is saying, bring your problems and your sorrows and your grief to me. I will bear it for you. So, this cross use here shows that we don't want to get in a rut when we start talking about the cross. We have to understand that there was a method that was given for, for salvation in the Garden of Eden. And that was the tree of life. But that was rejected. And that was the, the tree of blessing. And it was rejected. And so then, uh, when you don't have the blessings, the next thing you have are the curses. And the same thing with the commandment. There was the, the, the commandments of the blessings, the commandments of the curses. And when Paul uh, had, had the the children of Israel marched between these two mountains. He had readers who on the one mountain, as they passed, would read the curses. And readers on the other mountain side, uh, that would read as his people passed, uh, the blessings. Where you have the tree of life, which is the blessings, and then you have the tree that it is called. It's called a tree uh, uh, that is the cross, and that is the curses. And the Bible says, cursed is every man that hangeth from a tree. So this is the whole idea uh, and that, in that, that ministers have, uh, you know, uh, profounded about, in which uh, they have taught about how that Jesus took on the curse. Because the curse was, cursed is everyone that hangs on a, uh, on a tree. And Jesus hung on the cross tree. And so uh, that was the way of the curses. But there was another way that was the way of the blessings, but that ended up being rejected. And so the, the other mountain uh, had to be this uh, mountain of the curse. So then this kind of cross is more along uh, the line, uh, you know, of, um, of to deal uh, with uh, the world burden of your life. The cross equaling the world burden of your life. Uh, the obligations of life uh, and and having in it all the the points of the world uh, the cross the 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 vertical and and, and the cross piece uh, and that's why it's called a cross um, uh, having all those four points of east west uh, north south uh, which represents uh, in that sense the four corners of the world uh, the four winds of the world, the four rivers of the world, all has to do with that that world uh, burden of life and the obligations of that world burden of life. And Jesus is saying, take up the cross. You can't just ignore these things. You've got to be able to live with them and you've got to be able to to properly um, to pro properly uh, uh, put them in the right proxies and the right renderings, and uh, and he said, you know, uh, you know, take up that cross, and then he says, you've got to bring that cross to me, and and bring that cross, and I will.
take up that cross. And Paul understood that. You know, he, 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 he in one of his scriptures, he speaks of, of uh, you know, of the whole world being crucified unto him. And, and, and uh, all of that kind of thing. And that's all the time I have for that question. Okay, next question. Why are Christ and Lucifer referred to as the morning star? Are they the same? Uh, I'm not too sure what you mean by are they the same, unless you're meaning is Lucifer and Christ the same. Well, let me explain what the happening of that is about. Now, first off, we understand etymology-wise the name Lucifer and, and uh, the meanings and so forth like that. But um, what we really want to do is show you this. We want to show you that um, that in the book of Job 38, it talks about the morning stars sung together for, for joy. And there are many different scriptures uh, that talk about, you know, the star of David, and Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. And then the morning star is, is referred to as Jesus Christ. And even talks then, then uh, Christian-wise about letting the day star rise in your heart or hearts. So, <clears throat> Jesus, um, uh, as Yahweh, the the archangel of the Ophanims, um, the morning stars, was the morning star of all the Ophanims. Now, when Lucifer, who was a cherubim angel, was assigned as the covering angel of the Ophanims during the time the 144,000 angels of the of the creators were spreading creation which in, which included Yaviel that during that time he as a covering angel took on the office of Yaviel so he took on the office of the morning star so that reference then of the morning star to Lucifer and the morning star uh, to Jesus has application because when he took on that that title and became the covering angel, which is what Christ was uh, in Yaviel before he went into the spiriting of the creation, then that gave him that name. And of course, Lucifer is still claiming that he is the true covering angel, and therefore he is the true morning star. And uh, that's that's the information I can give you on that now. Uh, I think that's pretty interesting and worth looking into. Okay. Um, now, let's see here if I can find um, one other a couple other questions here. Um, this is from Mario. Okay. The Catholics say that the Last Supper was the actual Passover meal that Jesus had with the disciples. Therefore, when they administer communion, the wafer is made of unleavened bread. Uh, okay, when they uh, administer communion, the wafer is made of unleavened bread. The Orthodox say, <coughs> excuse me, the Last Supper was not the Passover, but just another meal. Therefore, their communion is administered with regular bread. As an argument, they show that Peter was carrying a sword with him in the garden, and Simon had just returned from working in the field, and according to the Jewish rules, 
according to the Jew, Jewish rules, you couldn't uh, do either, carry a weapon or work, after the Passover. So, what is the interpretation, especially in the 30, 60, 100-fold sense? All right, now that is a big subject, and we're going to try to uh, go over it because, interestingly, it opens a lot of other uh, very important uh, uh, insights. So let's just take the time to uh, spend uh, <coughs> on this particular verse and uh, our questions. All right, now first off, um, here's what I would like to say. I think this is the kind of question, the very kind of questions, and, and I don't say this in a negative sense, uh, Mario, for you having uh, presented it. Don't mean that at all. Because after all, you are making the point that these two different sects of belief, uh, you know, uh, <coughs> are rendering a different opinion. And you just want to say, you know, which one of these two groups is correct? <coughs> okay. <coughs> well, this, I think, really would apply to that thing about swallowing a, a gnat are straining at a gnat to, to straining to swallow a gnat and then end up uh, swallowing a camel. Um, I think that um, you know obviously it was the the Passover uh, feast time, and uh, I think it certainly uh, would not be out of line for the uh, Catholics for the Catholics to um, to come up with their supposition that they did. Uh, that that this then was relative uh, to to the the leaven of the um, uh, or what is also called you know uh, the weeks of the unleavened bread that that this was relative to that whole type of worship and that therefore uh, you know that Jesus and them was probably using um, you know unleavened bread uh, but from the other standpoint and using the various points uh, to make their their uh, uh, issue of evidence um, the one thing that they do say that you know this was just a meal and that's one of the things that I have taught for years about the communion the communion of which the Lord said as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me uh, I don't get into this thing about um, you know this unleavened bread or or, or particular kinds of of things. I, when the communion was being given in the uh, New Testament, it was people just having a meal. And so when you do your, you eat your meal, and you have your your bread, whatever your bread is. I mean, you can get bread and rice and then various other kinds of of uh, food. Uh, you know, when you do that, just you know, that's the time to to take uh, the recognition of of Christ and 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 uh, the remembrance of Christ. And and is that's what that was a meal and and it was a beautiful thing to initiate that into a meal because you know that's something people do three times a day or more and so it's a beautiful opportunity uh, for people to keep Jesus in their mind as remembrance that is that is an awesome thing really and I find that more important than making a point of how we would exactly do this because really when you start getting into the unleavened bread and and and, and you know the the 49 weeks and, and, and then you know the, the trumpets and, 
and the Jubilee and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's all beautiful and fine, but that belongs to the ordinances of the Old Testament. And Jesus came to fulfill all of that. And so in the fulfillment of all of that, it has different kind of meaning. It is not the same kind of meaning. And so as we begin to understand that, uh, it really makes us have to think in a different kind of way. Uh, but the Catholics did come up with this thing called trans... Uh, this, this, what I, I, want to, I want to say uh, this because it, it, to me, is so interesting. It's so interesting that, uh, that, they, that they came up with this and in the way that they came up with this because by doing so, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they brought out a mystery and they called it transubstantiation. So in the Catholics bringing out this thing of transubstantiation, they taught that when the Eucharist or the communion has been dedicated or concentrated by the priest, by the minister, that uh, it then starts the trigger or starts the effect so that there is a transubstantiation of the bread and of the wine or the bread and the drink. And so that the, the bread becomes as though it were actually the substance of the flesh of Christ and the blood becomes or pardon me, the, um, the drink, the wine, becomes as though it were uh, uh, the substance of the blood of Christ. And they call that transubstantiation. Now, consubstantiation, uh, which is uh, taught by the um, Episcopal people, the Anglican, uh, they see it just a little bit different, uh, but, you know, still very similar. Then there is another group, that they feel that uh, both of those ideas are just wrong and, and what it really represents is that when you take the communion that and you dedicate it that then the presence of the Lord through the Holy Spirit is present and that is how you feel the presence of the Lord and they don't put it into a uh, trans or consubstantiation of, of, of the substance but there is a beauty in both of those teachings of the transubstantiation and the consubstantiation, and and uh, I, I I've always uh, they've always appealed to me uh, for how that I am able to see them in a, in uh, you know a deeper light, and I, I I truly do believe that those ministers and priests who um, who saw those revelations uh, must have really uh, touched into a deep part uh, of God uh, by receiving. You know that revelation of the uh, transubstantiation and the consubstantiation, because uh, the fact is that in uh, transassimilation, there is a sense in which you are doing a transubstantiation, in which as you transassimilate into the Christ, then you are fulfilling the scripture in John, which which J uh, Jesus says, "As I am in God and God is in me and we are one, that I am in you and you are in me and we are one." So in that sense. There is, uh, in the act of transassimilation, there is the, the invite and the actuation and happening of a trans or consubstantiation. And uh, uh, it is, you know, different than just the eating of this wafer. But, but you know what? I would not by any means want to knock or put down the Catholics in this or the Anglican in this 
or of the the other uh, presbytery type of groups. Uh, I would not in any way want to put them down. I think they have the right to their interpretation and the right to their application. And I don't think that changing that or being a finite with it and trying to, to find the perfect point of article uh, is, is the correct way to go. I think that's just straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. And choking on the camel, by the way. So I think that that as we get into all these these specific points of technicalities, that uh, sometimes we are trifling with things uh, that that are not even applicable in the most important aspect of of the the resolution of the whole matter, which has to do with the spiritual. So uh, let, let's. Let's think about in the scripture how that we could get picky unish, and how that we could get so picky unish that we we would uh, have a problem believing the Bible, because you have these preachers that have taught for years and years that the Bible is inerrant. That means there cannot be any kind of a mistake in the Bible, and that is so stupid that verges on on the craziness, because that that is people really with a problem. Uh, who who are, are uh, trying to read something uh, in, into into their belief uh, that was never intended to be there? Um, we have to understand that human beings were the vessel that were used, copyists and scribes and 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 prophets and people were used that in many cases uh, represented as God, but they were human and they were susceptible to mistakes. And, uh, and, you know, scholars have found uh, copious errors uh, where there are similar words in, in the Greek and similar words in the Hebrew, uh, letters, I should say, and, and it's easy to miscopy those uh, and it then changes the meaning to something else. Uh, just for instance, uh, in Matthew twelve forty, it states uh, by Jesus, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth now let's read it again and listen to it for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish and notice with this particular translation they changed it from oil in fact either one of those would not be correct well, I'm not the time tonight to begin to tell you the real translation of that thing with Jonah. And the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The thing of it is, ladies and gentlemen, when you take the time in which you figure Jesus being taken off the cross, the burial time and all that, the time that he was in the tomb, and the time that he came out of the tomb, you do not get three days and three nights. That would be three 24-hour periods. And no matter how you want to turn it, how you want to twist it, you do not get three days and three nights. So, you know, in the general tra tradition, uh, Christ was crucified on a Friday of the Holy Week. And accordingly, as they interpreted, he died at uh, 3 p.m., the ninth hour of the day and then rose again, of course, from the dead on Sunday. Now, that being correct, 
how could it be said that Jesus was three days and three nights in the grave? If he was interred at 6 p.m., according to Luke, chapter 23:54, and it was a day of preparation, how then would that mean that the period of internment was only from Friday night to Saturday night before the res resurrection on the dawn of Sunday? Because that would mean that only one dawn to sunset day, namely Saturday, had passed. How can you get three days and three nights out of two nights and one day? Well, you can't. Nevertheless, there are a lot of considerations. Because in the Hebrew, according to their method of reckoning, each day had a beginning at sundown and from sundown to sundown was one day so Friday at 6 p.m. To, to Saturday at 6 p.m. would be a second day now when we go to uh, the reckoning by the Roman method their reckoning is according to from midnight to midnight instead of from sunset to sunset <coughs> <coughs> excuse me <coughs> and if you if you take that uh, further though and you uh, compare it to um, to the reckoning by the Greeks uh, then you end up with even a different time of accounting so what difference does it make ladies and gentlemen it's sort of like this. When Abraham, according to the legend, walked in Canaan, he was told that he, you know, if he would walk in Canaan, that that, that would, that his footprints there, and I'm paraphrasing it, would earn, earn or would gain the reward and the benefit of that land becoming an, a, an inheritance for, the, for his offspring. He didn't have to walk on every square inch. He didn't have to cover every foot. All he had to do was touch a part of that hole. And by touching a part of that hole, it rendered the hole and all its parts as being to the credit and the accounting to, to Abraham and made it not necessary that he had to walk all of the land. So it's actually a different kind of accounting that God does. Because in addition to the, to the Hebrew accounting, Roman accounting, the Greek accounting, there is God's accounting. And, and that is just so absolutely important. We just really need to get that down into our understanding that the different peoples and different nations had a difference of expressing the time intervals. Okay, now let's just look into that subject uh, a little further though. Let's look into it. Uh, it's still relevant. You know, we were talking about what day. Okay, but let's look at this. What hour was Christ crucified? Well, there is 
an apparent discrepancy between Mark 15.25, which states that Jesus was crucified at the third hour of Good Friday, and John 19.14, which indicates that the trial of Jesus was still going on at the sixth hour, indicating, indicating that the time of his crucifixion was later yet. Wow. Wow. So, most of the scholars say, well, obviously, one of the copyists made a mistake when they copied these numbers. But there are so many factors that we could go on with on that. You know, it's universally agreed that the synoptic hours were numbered from sunrise approximately 6 a.m. and that would mean that Christ was crucified at 9 a.m. And the preternatural darkness lasted from 12 a.m. to 3 p.m. But although it's difficult at all in the received textual reading that is provided to understanding that John may have been following an, an official numbering system uh, for Romans civil day and uh, you know the evidence for this potential civil day uh, began a numbering of the hours right after midnight which then becomes quite decisive to make the possibility that because he was using these Roman civic hours that the hours that the different ones gave although they seem to apparently not be uh, compatible uh, could have been compatible if you took in consideration for all of these different time elements and intervals of time that may have been applied but there are other points that can make that all seem to be uh, doubtful um, because you know in John 2019 the reference is that John reckons Christ's first appearance to the disciples in the house of John Mark as occurring in the latter part of the first day of the week and that would seem to prove conclusively that John did not regard the second day of the week as having begun at sunset as the Palestinian reckoning followed by others would have regarded the late supper hour so you see it goes on and on and we can strain at this gnat ladies and gentlemen we can strain at this gnat and we can end up swallowing the camel and that's what a lot of people are doing and and people are doing this with things that they find problems uh, I, I can't see the historical relevance of, of Jesus so I can't believe him if they believe this thing if there's not historical uh, relevance um, and then people end up losing out on the offer of salvation that Jesus has has given what a sad 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 thing that is so 
very, very sad that it is full of tears. There is no question about that. Okay, now, uh, wow, time is rolling on here, so I'm going to have to keep this thing moving. Uh, <clears throat> run out of time. Talking about this thing about uh, trans augmenting or trans augmentation, augmentation. Um, let's look at something quite different. Let's just for the purpose of a mental supposition, a mental examination of thought. Let's say that someone finally tries to come up with the point that Jesus as a human being never existed. That there's no proof of it. In fact, they found proof that would seem to indicate, and I'm just, this is a proposition, I'm not saying that's the case, that they found proof that would indicate that Jesus was just only a legend and uh, that he, he did not exist as a real living person. Uh, I feel very sorry for any people that would come up with that conclusion because the Bible says they that deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh are antichrist. But nevertheless, let's talk about a virtual Jesus. Let's talk about um, the Roman scripture which says that there are people who were without the law but because they live the tenets of the law, then they prove by the living of the tenets of the law that the law was written in their heart. So these persons haven't never maybe even seen the law or heard the law, were nevertheless credited uh, uh, as living by the law because they were living the tenets of the law. Now, in the sense that the world, all over the world, is so broad and so massive of human beings with different religions and, and people so bound in survivorship that they can hardly think about religion or faith or hope or salvation. Um, this thing with a virtual Jesus is a beautiful thought because when we think of the Soundtron it's taught in the Manifest Teachings and how that Psalms 19, the line went throughout all the universe and there was nowhere that it was not heard. And then in, in Romans 10, that there's no person that has not heard this, that it is somewhere settled within your inner, innermost being, that this truth is, is the kingdom of God within you, the light aura within you. But, but for you to really come into it, to really understand it, to really receive it, it has to happen it has to happen by a flow that comes out through your body so that you can understand it uh, mentally in your physical sense as well as then having it understood in your spirit sense. So in this thing of a virtual Jesus, if someone did come up with this thing that Jesus did not exist as this person called Jesus Christ, I would come back and I would say, if that's what you have to believe, believe it. But at least, for your own sake, believe this. That there is a virtual Jesus. And this virtual Jesus lives in the thought realm. And the reason 
these incidents in mythology going way back have repeated episodically over and over again a people being raised from the dead a people being healed a people being born of a virgin a people walking on the water is because there is an episodic truth of such dynamic measure and this truth is like the revelation in Genesis that said before the plants were put in the earth before any of these living plants were in the earth and, and planted they existed in a state before having been planted so they were in a thought state they were in a virtual state so all these plants uh, whether they be plants for food or just plants uh, you know uh, uh, for other purposes they were a, they were a virtual reality and then they became uh, transplanted from that virtual reality to a literal reality reality but you know you can go both ways like just when the Bible says that Jesus uh, came down uh, to the captives and then he also ascended with the, the captives so that this thing of God through Jesus Christ goes both ways so descending you can you can take this virtual reality of the Christ and you can transplant that into a literal reality you can also take this virtual reality of, of Christ and trans augment it into a transcendental reality of which it has a it has its own surpassing plane of reality so those things are, are absolutely uh, in my opinion uh, beautiful and 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 that's why none of these things in their in the historical search uh, that people are coming up with or not coming up with has anything to do with ever being able to in, to possibly affect me it cannot affect me because I believe in, in Jesus Christ in the wholeness of my being from out of my innermost flow of living waters I know Jesus Christ as the Yeshua as being Yaviel and as being uh, uh, the, the Father and, and, and understanding that and believing that in the association to the whole understanding of God uh, then I know that it has credibility beyond the incredible it has credibility beyond the impossible it has credibility beyond uh, the, the, the blink of nothing uh, so that in the sense of its incredibility it has the offering that anything and all things can be turned uh, into uh, a, a, another kind of reality so that the impossible is possible the death of the body then sows the life of the spirit uh, the increase of the loaves and, uh, and fishes uh, from one uh, state to a trans augmentation is a multiplication that not only multiplies the meaning of the fish and the loaves as far as duplication which would have a very limited uh, uh, value because within a very short time th th those loaves and fishes would just rot but in the sense of them feeding the multitude and the 5,000 and all those numbers that are given they have special meanings then there is a very deep spiritual meaning and in the sense then 
of this spirit to spirit, uh, the the uh, temporal being being adjudicated as to its meaning and and as to uh, not being relative except for its uh, being a a a vessel to be used from which the spirit is transported from the temporal to the eternal that as we look at it in those senses and in those realities uh, everything becomes different and becomes changed so ladies and gentlemen uh, wow it is exciting it is totally exciting and uh, I pray that uh, in this excitement of which uh, I have offered you in this teaching that you have been able to to receive it with uh, very very uh, deep understanding Okay, now we need to move on to the Gentile, uh, and this will not, you know, be a long thing. But I have a letter here uh, from uh, a gentleman who says that his wife uh, works uh, in surgery, and her job involves cleaning, sterilization, and wrapping of surgical instruments, among other things. And she has developed some kind of a skin condition on her hands skin cracks open, peels away leaving her fingers and hands raw extremely sore she's been to a dermatologist she's been to doctors uh, they've come up with just a name that really doesn't mean anything and uh, they you know, she needs help so I want to uh, do Gentile for her and I want to deal um, with the Gentile uh, system uh, using um a consideration of the immune system. Uh, I think, you know, what does happen, I've read about this before, people that have to just constantly wash and clean their hands and they're using not only sometimes soap and water, but they're using other kinds of, uh, of um, chemi- chemicals uh, to, you know, ward off any uh, carriage of, uh, of infectious type of germs, uh, that after a while, the skin just breaks down and so um, you know uh, sometimes people have to get into wearing gloves if that's allowed uh, to get away from that constant washing in that same sense otherwise just from a natural leverage of understanding uh, it may be very difficult to find a healing but I think the other thing is is that the body becomes not able to overcome uh, through the immune system because uh, of the uh, consistency of the constant uh, exposure uh, and when a, when a constant exposure is uh, kept like that then it has a way of affecting the body so that uh, the body loses its immune capability and uh, it is not necessarily um, a, a condition of which the body has gone into um, uh, to uh, self operations uh, so that it is it is automatic immune uh, that is a terrible thing to get uh, to have automatic immune it doesn't have to be that but there is a small sense of that which is relative so uh, here we go hypothalamus to the pituitary to the hypothalamus to the thyroid to the lymphatic gland begin to send messages into the lymphatic gland system uh, begin to send messages into this system uh, with the purpose 
of dealing specifically with the purifying through the blood system of this problem uh, that uh, has happened in the hands of, uh, of this lady that I have mentioned and begin to, to increase uh, an opening of the um, immune system by relating to the, the uh, boutons that belong close to the synaphysis and send special information uh, via the hormone system to retract from those photons, which I know that most people in mental hygiene do not recognize the capability of this Bhutan, but as I am speaking this to you, uh, to your mind, you are hearing this by your own uh, uh, recognizance, that this is to understand that it does have um, a application for you. And as this begins to be applied uh, uh, from the one point of the messenger of the hormones, uh, transmitting it to the receptors and doing this through a close association to the lymphatic glands, uh, begin to send messages into the hands uh, and into the body and into the blood system to fortify a resistance uh, so that dermatology-wise, the skin is able to operate uh, in a fashion that is, is capable to renew the skin uh, without uh, the opening cracks and the peeling away that is causing the soreness and the rawness. Uh, begin this proposition and this uh, messaging immediately. If there's any blockers, if there's any kind of interference, they are canceled. And then there is the mention here by this gentleman who wrote this that he recently had an accident on his small uh, motorcycle and that he's bruised himself and he uh, hamstrung uh, himself on his right leg and he's been in tremendous pain. Uh, one of the things that the body does have the capability of is to put up for the body um, various kinds of, of medicines that are made in the body, normal to the body, and distribute them into the system. I've had people that have been in terrible pain, uh, and uh, I'm sure some of them are listening right now, and they can tell you how they've been in pain for years. And as they got the Gentile treatment, they were eliminated of that pain. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary hypothalamus to thyroid, to the lymphatic center, begin to send messages into the body, begin to send messages to the hormone sector, coming through the corpus callosum, coming through the hemispheres, coming through the medulla, beyond the pons, begin to deal with bringing into the body those harmonizing anti-pain fluids that the body is capable of rendering into areas of great pain. And if this pain is still remaining on this person to whom I am speaking, whose name is Lonnie, begin to send forth this energy right now in these messages 
and begin to bring forth these fluids into the body to begin to dull the pain and to begin to eventually eradicate it. There's any inhibitors or blockers or messages added to this, they are canceled. Keep in mind when these messages are given that there is a prevailing point that has to happen over any other kinds of toxins in the body or medicines in the body. And after that point is overcome, then the Gentile effect begins to happen. Now, um, we were going to um, deal with uh, uh, Betty, who's been having some real uh, arthritis problems, but she wrote and said that her and her husband were going to be out of town, wouldn't be back till Wednesday. So I, I feel that I would like her to hear this Gentile directly uh, because I have prepared for her some Gentile and so we will wait till next week uh, in her case before uh, bringing uh, this, this Gentile. So it looks like um, we have come to another end of our meeting and we thank you people for being here, for listening and putting your hearts into this. May God bless you and keep you. May His Spirit and angels overshadow you. God bless you and good night.